0: At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Today, we invite you to look deeper into 1 Peter, tuning into our current series, Unshakable: Steadfast Hope in an Unpredictable World. Join us as we allow God's Word to shape us and renew our hope with the brilliant truth of the gospel. The timing for this sermon series that we are in uh, is the timing's timely, isn't it? We're in this sermon series called Unshakable, and it's where we're in First Peter, the first two chapters of First Peter, and Peter is writing this to the first century church in a culture that is in clear chaos, right? It is a culture that literally is shaking, and Peter takes us to the unshakable foundation of faith in Jesus Christ. He talks about this col- calling to be holy because God is holy, Holy meaning that we should be set apart. And Jesus said it like this. He said, you should be in the world, but not of the world. You're going to live in the world, but you shouldn't be of the world, which brings us to our big idea today. The big idea is that God's people are good citizens. We're in the world. We should be good citizens. But here's then the question, what does that look like? What does the Bible say about being a good citizen today? How do we live that out? Well, take your Bibles. Let's open up to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 through 17 is where we'll be focused today. Verses 13 through 17, 1 Peter chapter 2. The first thing that we're going to see is for God's sake, we need to submit to our rulers. Peter's going to show us three ways that we live as good citizens. The first way is we submit to our rulers we're going to start reading in verse 13, but this this actually is important. Sometimes this is interesting how this works. Sometimes it seems like all of the sermons is like, "Man, you guys, you pulled this out last week, didn't you? You saw everything going on in the world, and this is a reaction to this knee jerk reaction to everything going." And can I just tell you the planning meeting that I talked about where I'm sitting next to the mission guy? We've got the sermons blocked out for next year, like those sermons are planned. They're in place. Uh, This sermon was actually written in the month of August. There's been a lot happened from August until now, hasn't there? A lot happened in our culture, a lot happened in society, and yet God's word remains the same yesterday, today, and forever. The Lord is never changing. And so we want to be people, as people of faith, we want to continue to get our instruction from the word of God. I just want to put that out there so it doesn't feel like, is this a reaction to? Nope, it's not. This is not, this is just the word of God. Verse 13 says this: it says, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to the governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. So the first practice that Peter mentions here is to submit to our rulers. Uh, scripture's pretty clear about that calling, and I, I think as a pastor, when I look at how we do with it, and when I say we, I don't mean Romeo, I really mean, I really mean Christians in general. I think we normally do a real, real good job with this. I do. I think we normally, I think we normally, unless we don't really like the person who's in power, or what they say, and then we struggle a little bit more with this, don't we, right? But as long as like we're on board, we follow it, we're good with it. And and I think this this is huge, because what Peter is saying is that we need to submit to, be subject to, every human institution. In your Greek lexicon, if you look up this phrase, it's the phrase, be subject, it's the word hypotasso, Hypotasso, here's what that word literally means. It means you have someone in authority or in a position of power and you willingly come into a submissive relationship. Hypotasso, it means they're in authority, you come alongside and you submit to them. You come under their authority. Remember who Peter's talking to, when he's talking and what he's talking about. The historical background here is so important. Historians agree this is written somewhere around 62, 63 AD. It's probably being written from Rome, which means the emperor that he is talking about is not coming from a Christian perspective. The emperor is not one who says, "I just you know, I love the church. I just love Jesus. I love people. Let's just, let's just go and do, nope, that's not the Emperor at the time, is it? The emperor at this time is one who's just ruthless. He's vindictive. He's sexually immoral. He he set fire to his own city so he could blame the Christians. Of course, I'm talking about Nero. Nero literally would do this. He would tell Christians, you're going to bow down and worship me, and if you don't do that, I'm going to burn you alive. Just as a spectacle for everybody. This guy is ruthless. That's the one Peter's talking about when he says that we should be submissive to the emperor as supreme. And and that leads us in a place, because I'm going to tell you, it goes against every fiber of our being, doesn't it? I I think as Christians today, I think as as Americans, I think there's something in us that says that seems like an evil regime to me. Like, why is Peter... This is Peter, y'all. Pull out his sword and whack off someone's ear as Jesus being arrested. Peter, that's who we're talking about. And Peter's saying, no, you need to hypotasso, you need to come under the authority in a submissive relationship with this individual. I think it leaves us in a place of saying, Peter, why would you say that? Why would you teach this? Well, he shows us in Scripture, doesn't he? When you look at verse 13, you see that it's for the Lord's sake this is huge. When we submit to our city officials, when we submit to the police, when we submit to the governor, when we submit to the president, what we're really doing is we are submitting to the Lord. That's who we're submitting to. In the end, as the Christian, that's where our submission lies. Our submission lies with the Lord. But you do see verse 14 as well This is God's purpose in giving government. It is to punish the wrongdoer, and uphold civil order in our societies. Maybe you've seen examples globally that you look and you see what happens when our, our depravity, our sin, our selfish desire takes over and there is no submission to the authorities. It's chaos, isn't it? It is absolute chaos. And what this says is that the government is put there to keep civil order in our societies. I love how Paul says it in Romans 13. He says, For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who's in authority? Then do what is good, and you'll receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. He does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. Church, this is so important. We act in obedience to those ruling authorities at best, at best as a secondary influence in our lives. Our primary reason is to be submissive to the Lord. That is where we submit to. Our submission comes to the Lord. It's no different than Ephesians 6, is it? Ephesians 6, talking about that parent child relationship where it says, Children, you should, you should obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. And we don't struggle with that. Parents should teach their kids. They should instruct their kids. They should guide their kids. That's the role of that parent-child relationship. That's what they're supposed to do. And so we hear all of this. Isn't it true? We hear all this, and then we kind of to go in our hearts like, let's get to the messy stuff, though. And so can we get to the messy stuff? Here's the messy stuff. God has given us this framework. He's given us these boundaries. He's given us this canvas. And oftentimes where we go, especially today, yeah, but where's the loophole? there's got to be a loophole, right? I mean, there has to be. What's the scriptural loophole? Like, at what point do you push back against the government? At what point do you push back? There's got to be a pushback point. So what's the pushback point? Well, there is a pushback point. You ready for it? Here's a pushback point. When those same officials are telling you to do something that directly contradicts the Word of God, that's when we can push back. So here's what it looked like with Nero. Nero said, you're going to bow down, and you're going to worship me, and you're going to worship me alone. And what did the Christians in the day say? I can't do it. Yeah, but I'm going to burn you alive. I can't help what you're going to do, but I'm going to tell you I can't worship you. I have one God, God alone. I can't worship you. I've been saved through Jesus Christ. I've been taken from darkness and put into light. There's really nothing you can do to me here. I'm a sojourner. Do you remember the words of Peter? I'm a sojourner. I'm an exile here. I was a hostage and a slave to sin, but I've been set free. So you're going to do whatever you want to do, but I'm telling you, I can't worship you. And they were burned alive for it. And so there is that place where we as Christians have, have a loophole where there can be pushback. And that's where we're told by government that we have to directly disobey Scripture and violate clear biblical instruction on how we're to live. Otherwise, Peter says you have instructions on how you're to live. And if you want to be a good citizen in this world, what that means is you are going to submit to those rulers that are put in front of you. The second thing is you're going to see is we need to do good. We need to do good. Look at verse 15. It says, for this is the will of God. That by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. This, Okay, pastors hate when this is the conversation in the meeting, and it happens. Pastor, I want to come in. I want to meet with you in the office. And they sit down. I'm just trying to figure out the will of God in my life. You know, like, oh, man, here we go. I mean, look at this red car and this blue car, you know? And I just, I don't want to mess this up. And I mean, with all sincerity, I had someone once say, I'm just trying to figure out, should I get the, you know, the Mercedes or the Jag? I'm just, I'm really, and I'm looking at them going, what are we doing? I'm looking around, like, is someone recording this or what? Like, this just seems so weird that this is the conversation. And yet, this is our struggle, isn't it? constantly and maybe you felt the struggle of like no it's not frivolous like I just want to do what's right in the eyes of the Lord you know so do I go to this school or that school do I break up or do we stay together and 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 do I do I take that job out of state or do I not I hate that one too like pastor here's the opportunity in front of my family but that means we're going to leave the church and I'm like but I like you you know like I don't know if y'all know this or not but I like you guys like I do I don't just love you as your pastor, like, but I like you. I like being here. And so when, when people move away for jobs, like that's hard, isn't it? Like it, it, that is hard. It is a hard part of the process. And yet people will so oftentimes, this is where we talk about the will of God is at that level. Here's what Peter would say. Peter would say in a crystal clear way, the will of God is often found in those simple disciplines in your day-to-day life. The will of God is often found in those simple disciplines of your day-to-day life. He said, here is the will of God, that you do good. By doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people, which parallels the thought in verse 12. If you look back at verse 12 in your Bible, it says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so when they, they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. In other words, you should be busy doing so much good, Christian, that when people start to say things about you and accuse you of things, it just kind of rolls right off of you. It can't stick because there's too much fruit and too much evidence of the other, too much fruit and evidence of you doing good. It's the opposite of the little boy who cried wolf, right? Like that story is the story of this little boy who who wants to do good. You guys know that story, yes? Everyone shake their head. Okay. I tried to tell this on the west side of the state once, a little boy who cried wolf, but I think I said wolf, W-O-O-F, and they just looked at me like, I don't even know what you're saying. So now I'm, I'm practicing hard. I'm putting the wolf, the L in there. Anyway, but that story is a story of this little boy who went so badly to do good at the end, but no one believes him because he told lie after lie, deception after deception. And so when he's actually telling the truth, no one believes him. The opposite is what should be true for us. We should be doing so much good. We should be known for our good that if all of a sudden an evildoer comes along and accuses you of something that is unthinkable, or it literally just cannot stick to you. It rolls right off because there's too much evidence of the good in your life. Which then fires us up and we're just kind of like, okay, then what's good? What should we be doing that's good? There's a book written called All That's Good by Hannah Anderson. And she asked a big question in that book. She says, are you pursuing what's safe or are you pursuing what's good? And I want you to chew on that one for a moment. Are you doing what's safe or are you doing what's good? Because here's what I'm afraid of. I'm afraid... Then our culture today, the tendency, and I'm talking about the church culture. The culture within the church oftentimes is let's do what's safe. Let's only talk about safe things. And let's only go get involved in our community and, and safe things. and let's, Or are we being involved in what's good? Because from 62 or 63 A.D. until today, the church has a history of being actively involved in the common good for all of society. Here's what I mean, like starting in the fourth century, the Christians started schools, the Christians started churches, the Christians started orphanages, the Christians started welfare programs. In fact, there was a famous theologian in the fourth century who said that if you are holding back from generous giving, you literally are robbing from the poor. Think about how aggressive that statement is. And so from the fourth century to now, the church has continued to grow. Our influence and our scope has continued to grow. And we have been on the front lines, church, of being those people pressing into education. That's our responsibility. We've been pressing into those places where people, we should stomp out hunger in our community. There should be no hungry people in our community. There should be no one in need of clothes in our community, not on our watch. That should never happen. That's our responsibility. If we see a need, we should fill that need. If we see a hurt, we should heal that hurt. That's the calling that we have. And so then my question is, how are you doing with that? How are you doing? Have you started to play it safe all of a sudden, or do you continue to invest your life in the good? Is that where you're investing in? Which brings us to our last point today, live to serve. Look at verse 16. Verse 16. Peter says, live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. I'll come back to those emphatic statements at the end. But first, let's go back to live as people who are free going into this election week, and maybe it's because I'm from the South. Maybe it's because I was raised in a military family. I don't know, but I hear that, and I think like, you know, I'm proud to be an American, or at least I know I'm free. That's like where my mind goes. I think about the freedom that we have, the men and the women who have served so that we can go to the polls on Tuesday and freely vote without fear. Like, I am so thankful that that's the nation that we live in, I mean that with all sincerity, but that is not what Peter's talking about at all. He is talking about the freedom that we have in Christ Jesus. He is talking about a people who knows what it meant to be hostages and slaves to sin and who have now experienced freedom. That's what he's talking about. And he says that freedom that we have isn't a freedom, church, that we can go around and say, well, I can say what I want to say. I can do what I want to do because Christ has forgiven me anyway. He says, no, it's not the way it should be. We're free. So that we can serve God. We're free so that we can be his ambassadors. We're free so that we can love. We can serve. This is our, it's this corem deo, this before the face of God. That's how we should live. We should live as people live before the face of God. That's how we speak. That's how we love. That's how we serve. That's how we forgive. This is who we're called to be. And then, in verse 17, he starts these emphatic statements. He says, honor everyone, period. You see that? 220 times in the New Testament you find that word honor. It means literally to elevate the human dignity of someone else. Let me say that again. It means to elevate the human dignity of someone else. Honor is the word that you would use for royalty, isn't it? A king, a queen, a princess, honor, to elevate their dignity. It's the word, when you think of that person in your family that you really, really respect, like, like great-grandma, you know, like that person, you think about that person that you, you elevate their human dignity of who they are. You treat them a certain way, right? This says we should honor everyone. Talk about a timely message. As Christians, this is our posture to the world. Honor everyone. That means on your social media, guys, I'm just encouraging you, don't engage in the junk, don't do it. Honor everyone. Honor, there's people who are saying all, I know, villainous things that are being said. Don't engage in it. Honor everyone. The neighbor who's hard to love, the hard to love neighbor, honor everyone. The person, the family, man, they just like, you don't see how they're viewing the world, the way they're viewing the world honor. It doesn't mean you're agreeing with everyone. It means you honor everyone. You live to elevate the dignity of everyone around you. That's the posture that we have. Then it says that we should love the brotherhood. Oh, my goodness, Thursday was awesome. Thursday started with four individuals right here opening us in the Word of God. Thursday night, we had worship time. And it was not the worship of lament. It was the worship of celebration. We had prayer time together. We broke into circles all across this room, and people shared God's stories together. Here's where I've seen the Lord working in and through my family and in and through this church. This is where I've seen God at work. We shared at times where we just prayed together. We were just gathered in circles and praying and crying out to the Lord, getting that snapshot of the throne room of grace together. Love the brotherhood. Let's remember that our church alone is 14 different campuses spread all throughout Southeast Michigan. We should love the whole brotherhood, like the whole church. This is where we want to press on. Fear God. Fear God. What does Proverbs say? Proverbs says that fearing God is the beginning of wisdom. Fear God. Not what people are going to say, not how people are going to respond to you, but it's God who we should be seeking to please. And I love how this really goes back to what he was saying earlier, isn't it? We submit to those government authorities because in that we're submitting to the Lord. That's who in the end we fear is the Lord. That's who we're serving is the Lord. And then he comes back and says what I think is the greatest challenge even after 2,000 years, honor the emperor, period. Honor being the same word that we saw with honor everyone, to elevate the dignity of that person. That's hard, isn't it? It's hard when you see some in politics who don't align with what you believe to be right, when they make decisions that you don't agree with. This is, this is hard, and that's one of the things I love about the Word of God, is so oftentimes this is very easy to understand. Honor the emperor but it's so hard, I think, to look in the mirror and live this out. It is a challenge when you look and say, but I disagree with him, or I disagree with her, or I agree with him, or I agree with her. And this is where the polarizing effect throughout our nation starts to set in. And yet the word of God tells us, honor the emperor. So here's the challenge for you. On Tuesday, we head off to the election. We're going to go for it. We're just 48 hours away from it, right? We're going to head to the polls. I, um, I'm not going to take who to vote for, right? You come to hear me preach the Word of God, not to give my political thoughts. You can turn into one of the news stations for all that. But I do want you to pray. I'm telling you as a church, you need to pray. You need to be involved in the process. You, you need to go vote. That's, that's a good thing. That's a noble thing to do. But your faith should be in Christ. Your hope Should be in Christ. Your foundation, Peter says, the cornerstone to our faith is Christ. That's where our hope is. And my encouragement to you is remember that the world is watching you. Kids are watching you, your neighbor's watching you, those family members are watching you because the election may not go the way you want it to go. You may be really disappointed in how things turn out at the state level at the highest levels. You might be pleasantly surprised too, right? You may wake up on Wednesday and you may go, hot dog, look at this, this is great. This is so good, right? That may be your response. But regardless of if things go the way you want it to or don't go the way you want it to, our calling in scripture, church, it remains the same. Our calling and the challenge to us remains the same. And so I want us just to imagine Imagine the church living in a way that says, we're not afraid. We're not afraid of the applause of man, but we're truly going to serve and do good in a way to please God. We're going to get more involved than ever of making sure we're creating a ruckus in this community because this village of Romeo is going to know that we are here and we love our God and we love this community. They're going to know. Church, I think it's time, don't you? Like I think it is time for that. It is time for us to get more active than ever in what it means to serve our community around us. So I want us to prepare for communion today and it's gonna be an extended time. It's gonna be a little bit longer uh, than what we normally have because there's a few things I want you to pray about. One, I just want you to pray for your heart on this topic. This is a, this is a tough topic today and I, I know it is. I just want you to pray for your own heart. Before you receive communion, I want you to be in prayer. I want you to be in prayer for for what it means to live not in fear or not to live a safe life, but live in a way where you really are doing good to those around you. Are you involved in that process? You heard Austin's testimony. Is your testimony similar? Here's what it looks like to serve my church today. Will you pray for me as you're praying? As you're reflecting, just pray for me. Because fear God, I'm just, maybe pastors don't normally share this. Can I just tell you, that's hard. Because as I looked at Amy and I went through this, I said, Amy, how does that sound? Are people going to get mad at this? And here's her response, yeah, probably. They're probably going to get mad at this one. And um, I, don't, I don't like that. Because you are friends. You are church family. And when friends and family leave because of things I say, I don't, I don't like that. And yet... Friends, your prayer for me should be very simple. I want my pastor to fear God, not man. I want my pastor not afraid to speak truth. He's got to tell us the truth even when it hurts. Will you pray for me? Will you pray for Pastor Chris? Because I, I can just imagine trying to look at 14 different communities being served, how challenging that position would be. Will you pray for our president today? As he's trying to balance, go in and speak at a rally and then got on an airplane and try to make decisions that's impacting people's lives that we can't even imagine, will you pray for him? Will you, will you honor him? Will you see his dignity elevated? Not celebrate if he gets sick. Will you pray for him? Will we pray for our governor as you're preparing your heart? Not celebrate if there's death threats against her or her family. This should be a place where we say, Lord, she needs godly wisdom in her ear. She needs people who are followers of you to be speaking truth into her. Lord, will you send those people? Will you pray for the person to your left and the person to your right? And I mean that with sincerity. Love the brotherhood. Because probably if you're struggling with some of these topics, they are too. We pray for unity for our church. Pray for unity. Don't allow the chaos of the world around us to divide us or cause discord. I'm so thankful to the Lord for the provision that he's given in our unity. Let's continue to be people who understand that that unity comes only from the Lord. It's his strength. Church, let's just be still and pause and pray for a little bit as we prepare for communion. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together.